welcome to the Wake Before the Day podcast with my parents, Clark and Bobby. We're excited to talk about the Bible and the Holy Spirit adventures. Thanks for listening. What's up, friends and family? Today we are excited to join you and be looking at the specific scripture, 1 John chapter 2. And I love John's writing. I love the Gospel of John. I love his letters here, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. (laughs) Revelation. This guy is just—he's just a good writer. Points us to Jesus. I like the contrasts he offers: the light and darkness, children, and those friends of the world, and kind of the back and forth he always does. I like it. You, it's want, good. you want to pick up at verse let's, one? Let's read the writing. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Mm. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Mm. Okay, guys, so are we going to sin? Yeah. But what's our response? So mm-hmm. if you go all the way back to Genesis, Eve thought that self-salvation was the way to go by yeah. going to the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the one tree that they were not supposed to eat from, and then they covered themselves and they hid. Yep. So we understand now that Jesus has come. Our behavior is not going to save us, and he is the only one. That's one of those things where, you know, if you go look at other religions around the world, and it's all about, you know, attaining nirvana or these meditations or rituals or, yeah. you know, get, getting to this place where your betterment, your self-betterment, you have inner peace or whatever it is. No, the, the Bible comes to say you cannot do it, it yeah. either by the fruit biting or other methods. Your it's fruit biter. Jesus. Yeah. Eve, that <laughs> just fruit like biter. <laughs> Adam. In other um, New Testament writings, too, we've we've continued to read about that, about how it's not whether you're circumcised or it's not if you're eating the right things or drinking the right things. It's all Jesus. It's him. Yeah. He's he, the only he's one. He's the only one who could atone. I know. Explain a tone. I feel like that's one of those kind of church words. <sighs> yeah. That this is helpful to break down. Yeah. And understand. It's a word that's tossed out quite a bit. It essentially is to make amends. It's to right a wrong. It's mm. to create reparations. And so mm-hmm. Jesus atoned for our sin in that he allowed us to like almost legally positionally come back into relationship with the father mm-hmm. because we couldn't because he's holy and we're sinful. But because of what Jesus Christ did, whenever we repent of our sins and believe in him, it's like the blood of Jesus washes us from our sin. And now it's like we sing as if we're white as snow, we're pure, Mm -hmm. we're holy because of Christ in us. And we can now have access to the Father. Mm -hmm. And so what John does is he he starts breaking it down practically, like when it comes to our relationships. He says in verse three, Mm -hmm. we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he says is a liar. And the truth's not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, the love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So Mm -hmm. if you had to translate this and to make it really simple, people ask, like, how do I know if I'm truly saved? You you know, by you're obeying God, Mm -hmm. by fighting sin. You know, Jesus not only defeated sin, church, he broke its power. Yeah. And so we weed out sin and we sow what's life-giving. And really, this is the thesis for the rest of his writing. Mm-hmm, Knowing mm-hmm. God is revealed by one's desire to obey God. Now, again, does that mean that we're always going to be thrilled to go to church and thrilled to read our Bible and thrilled to fast and pray? 
No, it doesn't. But over time, gradually, you're going to enjoy those things more and more. Your your affections are going to shift from the things of this world to the things yeah. of God, simply because you spent enough time with Him, and you're becoming like Him. And so throughout these verses, he uses this Greek word, uh, tereo, which is to keep, in order to describe mm. obedience. And so there, there are theologians that talk about how this verb means more than just observing laws or observing instructions. It implies a, a duration, like this takes time right. and a sense of perseverance. So to observe or to keep something diligently, to guard it carefully, mm. to suddenly realize this truth and you're going to protect it. In other words, you could say like to keep God's word goes far beyond just conforming to the law and just doing what you're told. Yeah. Because here, to live in him goes beyond imitating Christ. It's like living as Jesus lived. It's actually reminding you that the spirit of God has yes. indwelt the Christian. And so in seminary, we had a professor that would always tell us, put your hand over your hearts. And if you're at a manual, you know, I've done this before to you as well. Take a deep breath. So right now, put your hand over your heart. Okay. Take a deep breath and say, I am one in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. Mm. I am one in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. And so we obey the Lord because I mean, we trust that his way is right. But as you spend time with God, you will truly love the things that God loves. And if you're like, Pastor, I've tried that. I don't know if that necessarily works. I'm saying you should sit down and allocate your time. Get a pencil and paper out and go, how much time do I spend on my phone? How much time am I watching TV? Let's just stop right there before we get to anything else. And then compare that to the time you have intentionally spent with God. I'm not saying you even need to read your Bible for all that whole time or you need to be in a church you know, service that whole time. But are you sure. spending intentional time with God? And now, Bobby, you can read verses 7 um, and 8 because now he transitions to like what this is supposed to look like. This is not some new thing. I will read verses 7 and 8. I also want to just say <laughs> the reason why there's assurance and understanding why um, like living obediently means that you know God is because we can't live obediently apart from him. There's an author and a yeah. speaker, writer. She talks about how she was living a life of sin and she was constantly like, I know this is hurting me. I know that I shouldn't be doing this. But it wasn't until she cried out to the Lord and had the Holy Spirit's help mm-hmm. that she was actually able to break free from any of these things. And so the one of the reasons why obedience like c- confirms our knowing God is because the Holy Spirit empowers our obedience and so that's one of the like that's one of the other this just give you assurance that's it should just give you a peace and so it's not a new thing that's what paul just continues to write dear friends i am not writing you a new command but an old one which you have had since the beginning this command is the message you have heard yet i am writing you a new command is its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. So the ancient command has taken a new form since the coming of Christ. So initially yeah. Christ himself exemplified this love by demonstrating self-giving love for us. Yeah. He fulfilled the law of love in a way never in history ever seen before. For sure. But more, Jesus has enabled this love to be realized in the present age among his followers. So be, because he has given us his spirit, which allows us to live into the command of love. So I think we've said that before, where if you live loved, 
that is one way of following Jesus because it's saying I'm actually going to partner with what I could never do before because the spirit is now dwelling within me like we just did with the breath. And and I believe it. And so I'm going to trust what I've read in the Bible. I'm going to trust who Jesus is and and not just that he died on the cross, but that he's actually alive Mm -hmm. in our hearts. And so that's kind of how it's it's an old command to to live in love, but it's a new command because of how Jesus has fulfilled it. Yeah, Jesus is offering us a new way of doing things. And uh, now John kind of gets at like the whole light and darkness conversation. He says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister, you're still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light, and there's nothing in them that makes them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister in the darkness and walks around in the darkness, you're not in the light. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. Now, I want you to pay attention real quick. Notice that Paul is not talking to people about their enemies abroad. He's talking about people within the church community. Right, brothers, sisters. Like, there are people yeah. in the church walls that like you probably drive you nuts and you don't like. They don't like you. He's saying you have to love them. Before you can love the world, you got to love the people who claim to follow Jesus too. And so what Jesus has essentially done is he has revoked our license to be angry and like hate other people. And the reason why is because mm-hmm. God had every reason to hate us. Right. We're enemies of God. But what did he do? He loved us. He went to the cross and died mm-hmm. for us. So even when it seems justifiable for us to go, I can hate that person because what they said about me, what they did to me, what they didn't do, they weren't there, yada, yada, yada. That right. list could go on and on. It's like, you got to love them. Why? Because that's what God did for us. Yeah. And now the reason for his writing, here's a huge disclaimer. Paul's Jewish custom is to address adults widely, as, you know, such as titles as brothers, all along implying that he has the entire Christian church in mind. Well, here it's, you know, women, you're included. Remember in verse 12, your sins have been forgiven, mm-hmm. men and women, children. Verse 13, you know him who is from the beginning. In verse 13 again, you have overcome the evil one because of what Christ has done. And here, notice it's like all this is done because of what Christ has done. So you can love people when your flesh mm-hmm. is rearing and wants to hate them because Christ is in you. You can forgive people, not because you're so kind and gracious, but because the Spirit's in you. Mm-hmm. And uh, God's calling you to a new way of doing things. Don't love the world. Mm-hmm. Love the Lord and follow him. And that's what he gets at in the next passage. Yeah, verses 15, 16, and 17 sound like this. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, Mm. the lust of the eye, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God Mm. lives forever. Bobby, flesh, eye, pride, Break it down for us. I'll try my best. <laughs> so John kind of gives us those uh, visual aids. So he has in mind when he's talking about flesh, he's talking about desire yeah. or sinful interest that draws us away from God or that at least makes us continuing fellowship with God really hard or it, it, it just impossible. Yeah. Um, when he's talking about the eye, this word of course can refer to sinful interests also like in what's seen with your actual eyeball exactly Mm -hmm. on the other hand the eye is often a metaphor for sinful passion that corrupts so jesus talks about that where just like in the gospels like talking about the eye oh yes Uh sermon on the mount mount. Mm -hmm. yeah so even if you think back to 
Eve's eye. Like you could say that that was really kind of the catalyst that like she was looking and she understood that when she looked at the fruit, she saw that it was desirable to eat. And so it was pleasing to the eye in Genesis um, three verse six or David when he was looking at Bathsheba. And so it's kind of, it's kind of like the flesh, but it's like a, it's a specific portal, like the eye that we understand. And then pride, the pride of life that John talks about. John has in mind an attitude of pretentious arrogance or subtle elitism. Yeah. Ooh, look at me compared to all of you. It can come from anything. Exactly. But maybe specifically like rank or wealth or like societal stature. It's an overconfidence that makes us lose any notion that we're dependent on God. Why would we need God when we when we, you know, have all these other things. That's a slippery slope. Yeah. And so I think especially that in, when you when you think about America today, I feel like that's one of the reasons why we've just kind of lost, one of many reasons why, that we've lost um, focus and our eyes have shifted, you know, down on mm. our little tiny kingdoms instead of up. Um, and we're forgetting that we're citizens of heaven and we're forgetting cause we have, you know, our own little kingdoms to manage here and our own little worlds that we've built. And so it's interesting. Pride's been called like the, you can be pregnant with pride. It's like the mother of other sins as well. And so John's identifying that the marijuana this, of drugs is not helpful. Yeah. It's a gateway sin. So yeah, yeah, realize it for sure. And then he transitions to again, make, make us under, aware of how serious this conversation is. And he says, Hey, there's a serious warning. If you're denying the son, then it's not going to end well for you at all. Mm-hmm. And essentially the word antichrist is used. And the Bible uses this word often revelation, which John also wrote. There are many antichrists. Antichrists are people who are anti Jesus It's people who have set right. themselves against the gospel against God. And so you and I could go back from the time of Jesus until to this cultural moment and see, there are so many people that have set themselves up against God, mm-hmm. up against the way of Jesus. And so what is happening here, which confuses some folks, is that John's not trying to give us like a chronological timeline. Because Jesus told sure. us, you guys are not going to know when I'm coming back. Mm-hmm. But he's thinking theolo- uh, theologically about what's happening between God and the world. And so verses 20 and 21, he's referring that to the time he's given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one who allows us to know what is real. Mm -hmm. He's the one who allows us to live in truth. He says, you have an anointing from the Holy One. All of you can know the truth. He said, I don't write you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it and because that no lie can Mm -hmm. come from the truth. And so he nails it again down, verses 22 and 23. He says, who is the liar? The liar is anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, yeah. denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. And whoever acknowledges the Son on the positive end, he also has the Father. And so there were people in John's day that believed there would be a Christ. However, they had a hard time believing that Jesus of Nazareth, like Jesus, the carpenter's son, born of Mary, they had a hard time believing that he was God. Right. And that's why John's saying, hey, look, I saw him. I heard mm-hmm. him. I touched him. I was with him. And and that's what he gets at here in verses 24 through kind of 27. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. Also, you'll remain the son, the father. And what's promised to you, you'll experience eternal life. There are people who are trying to lead you astray. Don't do it. Don't do mm-hmm. it. And so the earliest objective when they were writing the Gospels was to ground Jesus' teaching historically. 
That's why when they sure. write, they're like, hey, if you want to go to Jerusalem and talk to you know, yeah. Jose or Juanita or Susan or John, right. you can go there and see that they were there when this all happened. Yep. And that's why it's so important that they drop names in cities and locations and street names mm-hmm. in their writings because it's grounded in history. This is not a myth. This is not some superstition. This is real. This is real. And so that's why John here takes an intellectual bent at this. He's like, what we've heard, what we've seen, what we've touched, like from the beginning, this is true of God. Mm -hmm. And so we got to hold on to that. And he ends by just reminding us in verses 28 and 29, you're a dear child of God. So continue in him. Don't go do your own thing. Come back to the Lord in the way of the Lord and it will go well with you. Amen. You guys, thanks for joining us. What a gift. We're going to be back in First John. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll catch you there. God bless you. The Lord bless you and keep you. Don't make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give him his peace. Have a great day.